Hi, I'm Kat Holbrook, cook, lover of all things British and host of The Doorstep Kitchen. Welcome and thanks for tuning into this show which celebrates the best of British food and drink. Each week I'll be chatting to someone that inspires me by cooking or producing delicious things on our doorsteps. We'll also hear from our expert forager Imogen Davis on what delights you can find right now and I'll be sharing some of my favourite recipes which I hope will inspire you. Coming up in this episode I'll talk through one of my favourite asparagus recipes and Imogen speaks about pineapple weed. But first, I chat to Scottish chef Roberta Hall McCarran. Already a star, my guest today was a finalist of this series' Great British Menu. She's cooked at some of Scotland's most esteemed restaurants, such as being head chef at Tom Kitchen's Castle Terrace, and her own restaurant, The Little Trout Room, has received glowing reviews. Welcome, Roberta. Hi, Catherine, how are you doing? Yeah, really well, thanks. How are you? Good, thank you. Very good. Uh, So, Roberta, from the age of 15, you've worked in the kitchen. What do you love about cooking? Um, I think the the, the buzz, that was the first thing that I remember from the first kitchen I worked in. Um, Just, it was an environment I'd never experienced before. And yeah, just the buzz of it, learning all these different skills, learning how to, to do so many different things with your hands and yeah, different things that you sort of, see in your life as you're growing up you know I, I did cadets at school and I remember we got shown how to skin a rabbit which at the time I thought was pretty disgusting and you know I thought this I'll never need this skill but now it's something that I've actually learned in my career and I, I really love the fact that I know exactly what to do with you know taking any animals and um, being able to break them down from start to finish and make something amazing out of them. Mm. Um, so you mentioned skinning a rabbit yeah. um, I still in your brunch menu you have braised hair is that right uh, yes I mean the, 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 the menus change all the time but yeah, yeah I've had hair on quite a bit actually on the brunch menu yeah amazing what's what's hair like I would say it's a bit of a preferred taste of all game it's probably one of the strongest that you get but uh, I mean I think it's delicious and I think it's just a bit more interesting. Uh, there's so many places doing brunch and you get your usual kind of eggs benedict, smoked salmon, smoked haddock. It's one thing I've always wanted to do is just do things that people can recognise, but I've definitely, you know, you, you wouldn't see it everywhere and it's just a bit different and kind of introducing people to try things that they wouldn't necessarily try in a normal, a normal day. Yeah, totally. So you're on this series of Great British Menu, which I think has been amazing. How has your experience been? Uh, an absolute roller coaster. Um, I, when they when I got asked to do it initially, for me it was probably one of the most uh, terrifying things I thought that I could probably do in my career. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I love having a restaurant. I love um, cooking for my guests and just doing, you know, going just doing that kind of normal thing. Um, and so the thought of going on national telly and putting, you know, yourself out there for everyone to to scrutinise really really did did scare me and I actually initially I, just, I said no initially. really interesting yeah yeah <laughs> um I really wasn't sure that I, I wanted to to go and do it um and then I had another chat with them um, one of the one of the producers and she she managed to talk me around um <laughs> and then but it's, it's not it's not quite as straightforward as that you do actually have to go through a sort of a series of um different interviews in some sense that you have to chat and, and you have to do a couple of phone interviews you have to do somebody then comes up to comes to your restaurant and they video you and they see if you're able to perform I guess mm. on in front of a camera because at the end of the day it is a tv show yeah 
um, you then get the brief, then you have to write a menu and that gets submitted and that has to get approved as well. So there's all these um, sort of hoops that you have to jump, jump through. And as I was doing all of this, I realized I was really fighting for it. Like I was really fighting for myself. So deep down, there was this part of me that really actually did want to go and into this competition and, you know, and, and, and try and do, do the best that I can. Um, so it was, it was a, a funny start to it, but, um, and it is, it, it takes a hell of a lot out of you as well. Um, yeah, I can it's, imagine. It's relentless. Yeah. You know, people see it on telly and they all think it's all sort of happening then and then and there, but it was actually sort of six months prior when they first start getting in contact with you and you start practicing, you start putting all your ideas together um, and then you go and you do the filming. And I was extremely nervous going down to film because it's just something that I've never done before. Didn't know what to expect, um, but it was amazing. The film crew, the production crew were absolutely fantastic. They make you feel at ease and help you in any way that they can. And the support that you get from them, just, yeah, it's incredible. And I met so many people that I clicked with, um, Amy especially. We just, we'd got on a, like a house on fire and just supported each other through the whole week as well because it was quite a, it was a bit of a rocky one with uh, Amy being ill. When we got mm. Ross and I got told, Amy's not well, that's her at the competition. Technically, we were through to the, the Friday, which was an amazing feeling, but at the same time, I felt cheated. I felt like I hadn't earned that spot. So when she, Amy was able to come back into the competition, obviously, it makes things trickier again, but I felt better because getting that spot on the Friday, I knew that I'd, I'd earned that spot. Yeah, well, you had some amazing dishes, and I thought it was out of kind of all the different regions. I just thought it was so lovely to watch. And I think, yeah, exactly, that the rapport and the chemistry that you and Amy oh, had made the kitchen just like totally different than the other episodes. Um, so for us at home, I just thought that was really brilliant. <laughs> and I loved watching you cook with sea buckthorn. Oh, yes. I think you're the queen of sea buckthorn. Um, <laughs> what do you love about it? Um, well, it, I mean, it grows in Scotland, so it's it's very local to, especially the restaurant. Um, it, it grows just about twenty miles away. Um, it's a it's a coastal berry. It grows on beaches actually, and it's it's a funny little berry. It's you know, it's they're quite small. They're not tiny, but they're small. But they are mighty. They are they pack a punch. And a bit like you, Roberta, small but mighty. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, and. They, they do have this extreme taste. And I just think, like it's showcased on, on Great British Menu, they marry really well together with chocolate. Chocolate can be quite rich and, you know, you can get a bit lost in chocolate. But I just think pairing it with Seabuckthorn just really cuts through it and just sort of sharpens up a dish. It cleans up a dish and it, and it finishes a dish really nicely. And and there is this uh, a thing, I think, especially on Great British Menu, that, that the judges hate Seabuckthorn. So I was a little bit determined to... Um, yeah, <laughs> prove them wrong. Yeah, just just make them. No, you can eat it nicely. <laughs> so I'm I'm happy that it worked. <laughs> yeah, it worked very well. Yeah. So I'd love to get my hands on some sea buckthorn. Uh, you mentioned it grows on coastlines. Where can you generally find it, and how do you pick it? So yeah, like like I said, it's um it grows on on beaches. To pick it, it's a really spiky berry. You need really thick gloves and almost um, like um, hedge cutters. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Executors. So exactly, thank you. It's not the most simple thing in the world to get. And also getting the, the juice out of the berries. Again, you need a, a juice presser almost. Luckily, there is a fantastic forager who goes around to all the different restaurants in Edinburgh. And he goes out and does all that for me <laughs> and for everyone else. And he brings in the juice already. But like I say, you can, you can definitely go and, go and do it yourself. Mm -hmm. and it's very easy to identify their 
uh, what size would you say? They're probably about the size of Ramble, but they're completely round and bright orange. Brilliant. Um, and you also have a lot of game on your menu. Um, so you're clearly, clearly a fan of that. What kind of game do you cook and why do you love it so much? I, uh, I love all game. <laughs> uh, another thing that Scotland has is the range of game. And I mean, you've anything you can get all year round, but I think the birds, which start in, in August, um, they're probably my favourite ones to cook with. So grouse and... Yeah, the glorious grouse, which, you know, lots of people are familiar with. With my cooking, I love to use every aspect of the animal. And with a bird, you can do that and you can do that in one dish. Uh, game can be quite tricky to cook. And whilst I was, you know, in working under Tom Kitchen and, and Dominic Jack, it, they're massive advocates for game as well. And learning how to prep it and cook it just to perfection was, was fascinating. And I'm really enjoying teaching all the chefs that are under me now, my, my team or people that have you know, come and gone, just that skill as well, because it's not something that you see everywhere. And they're all, from what I'm getting, is that all my team are really enjoying getting to learn this, this skill as well. Uh, I mean, the, the birds speak for themselves. They're delicious. So it's a really exciting time of year when, when they come in. And because they're in Scotland, we're able to get the grouse on the menu on the 12th. And I think just being able to do that is just it's quite special really special and great British menu you had a whole rabbit didn't you and then you yeah. used that for lots of different things and you also made haggis um so you clearly obviously are Scottish yes. you love haggis I love haggis <laughs> as well even though I'm only an innate Scottish um but what kind of haggis did you make on great British menu uh, I, I made rabbit haggis. Um, I mean, it was a disaster the first time around. <laughs> Can be quite tricky, quite temperamental, but um managed to nail it by the end of the week, thank God. <laughs> and yeah, that's, I mean, I think, I've, I think I've made, I'm trying to think back, I think it's about a couple of years ago, I think I made grouse haggis as well, mm. which was, yeah, <laughs> really quite punchy, but it was amazing. Haggis continues my philosophy of using every aspect that you can. And you really, with haggis, you really are because you're using, not to be yeah, grossing anyone out, but um, you know, you're using the lungs, you're using the heart, you're using the, the kidneys, you're using everything that normally, a lot of lungs especially, they don't normally get used. They normally get discarded. So I just think to really honour and respect the animal that's been killed, then, you know, just use, use everything that you can. And I mean, haggis is delicious. So mm. I also, I kind of, kind of, not just being Scottish, but um, my family, uh, my dad's side of the family used to have uh, a meat um, company that also produced their own haggis. I think they're actually, this is so silly and ridiculous, but I think they're actually in the Guinness Book of Records for making the biggest haggis or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> so That's amazing. So haggis goes way back in your family. <laughs> it does, yeah. It's not just... Um, my sort of love for it now yeah it's, it's definitely been uh, with me since a child so. um so is the rabbit haggis the one you have in your menu at the restaurant normally or is it a more traditional haggis that you have whenever I do haggis at the restaurant it would be whatever animal it is I'm cooking so I've done I've done lamb haggis I've done rabbit haggis I've done, yeah, like I, said, I think I've done gross haggis I've done hair haggis uh so yeah no just whatever animal is 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 in the dish is is the haggis that I'll make yeah, fair enough. That makes sense. And you mentioned earlier that you, you've you worked for Tom Kitchen, mm-hmm. which is amazing. And you've learned lots of your game skills from there. So kind of, you know, completely skinning and boning rabbits and all these kind of exciting things that you now teach your chefs. Um, what else did you learn from Tom? You know, I think he's played quite an important part in your career, hasn't he? 
He's, he's played a massive part in my career. I mean, I think I joined the kitchen when I was 24. I've been, I've been chefing for many years before that, working in good places, but it wasn't until I went to work for him that I don't think I'd ever really worked for somebody that had as much passion and drive. Yeah, just this, I mean, he's relentless <laughs> in a really good way. And he just cares so much. And I almost felt like I was going back to day one again in the kitchen. And he really just opened my eyes up to a different angle of cooking and to just this, it was just intoxicating. And uh, yeah, I loved it. Um, it was hard. <laughs> I'm not going to say it wasn't a walk mm. in the park. He's hard, but he's fair to work for. So yeah, and no, just just his his love for for food was incredible, and yeah, it started to drive me towards what I wanted to achieve, and and here I am getting there. <laughs> when you started off in kitchens when you were fifteen, did you think I want to open a restaurant, or did you just sort of get your head down and see kind of where everything went? Uh, very much just to get my head down. Yeah, mm. back then I don't think I could have ever envisioned owning my own place. It felt like such a a massive sort of mountain to climb because you know there's just so much involved but as as you as you you know you get more experience and more skills and your confidence grows and then yeah I started to realize that I wanted to have my own restaurant I wanted to be able to cook my own food and run a kitchen in exactly how I wanted it to be and create an environment I'd love to go and visit and eat and enjoy and with my husband as well because he is the better half of the little chart room yeah exactly so Sean is does he mainly do the front of house? Yes, very much so. He, he literally does everything except food. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, although actually, well, uh, during this, this current crisis, he is now delving into helping with uh, some prep of the food because we're yeah just trying to work things out with how to run the business just now. And so he is dipping his toes into, into food prep, which is great because he doesn't think he's good at it, but he is good at it. So. Oh, good. Natural talent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So during this Corona time, I've seen you've been doing some takeaways. I think you were given an amazing sort of haunch and venison from one of your suppliers last mm. week and you were doing something with that. And then is that something you're going to continue doing? Has that been quite popular? It was really popular. Um, we weren't going to be doing it for that many people. So we just sent a, a sort of thing out on an Instagram just saying, right, we've got this many portions. It's a meal deal. It's a dine-in for two and you need to cook the petite yourself, but you'll also get you know vegetables to go with it. You'll get dessert. There's a bottle of wine involved as well and it's I think it's sold out within about 30 minutes so <laughs> so we've now just today decided that we're going to do it for next week as well but yeah we're just sort of trialing out going to see how we can manage to do it just the two of us we did take away a week before we close officially for lockdown the plan will be eventually to start hot food takeaway again will be the little takeaway instead of the little charters <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, if I was in Edinburgh, I would 100% want one of your amazing venison petivias. So apart from ingredients like Scottish venison, what other Scottish ingredients do you love to cook with? Um, one ingredient uh, that's in season just now, which uh, is asparagus. The Scottish season's just started. I think it's potentially my favourite vegetable. So when the season starts, it's, it's a very exciting time. And I think it kind of signifies the start of spring. I think it's one of the first spring vegetables that, that you get. And that's always, it's good. It's good after the winter. I think with every, I think every chef loves loves every season, but is always probably quite tired of each season when they're, <laughs> when they're coming to an end. So the start of a new season is just really refreshing and all the ideas that you have for, for the upcoming sort of different vegetables that are coming in start to flow. Um, but I just find asparagus really versatile. It, it can be a standalone veg but it also accompanies you know meat fish shellfish just it's it's so versatile it's great okay but also the mushrooms that we have 
that I get, I mentioned before, the, the forager that comes around to me, Ben, he brings all the, the different kinds of mushrooms that we get and I absolutely adore using all of them. I think Chicken of the Woods should be starting soon and that's a really interesting mushroom because it's, it's a really meaty mushroom. It actually takes a really long time to cook and it doesn't taste of chicken but it's got that same sort of texture when you eat it. Mm-hmm. Flashy. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And as soon as that one starts, the old mushrooms start, it's kind of like the game season, like the, the, the grouse is the first one and then you get after grouse you get partridge then you get pheasant then you get hare and then you know and it all kind of starts to evolve and it's the same with the mushrooms and i think last year we started to use lots of the different styles um i don't know if you've heard of a mushroom called pheasant back no i haven't so it's incredible it basically looks like the back of the pheasant it's got that pattern and it's got that pattern on the mushroom it's incredible um and absolutely delicious as well obviously chanterelles for me they they're, they come out around about the same time as as gross so they're always the accompaniment that you get with gross the way that the restaurant's set up you've got sort of two rooms and one part of it is just for sitting and, and uh, with tables and then the other part is actually got a bar countertop and um, with four seats at a bar and then it overlooks part of the kitchen which is open just beyond that there's two big windows um, it's also used because it's a very small restaurant and we have very, very little storage. Once the mushrooms come in, they all get washed and then we put them on this bench to, to dry. Not to dry, not to go crisp and dry, literally just to dry the, the water off them from being washed. And people walk past and take pictures of them. Um, we, I think shortly after we opened, because we were doing this, we got on social media, we were becoming known as the, the mushroom restaurant, which was <laughs> quite funny, just like, you know, quite sweet. Um, and it's amazing just how people get so drawn into them. Um, people have actually come in, I think. I think we actually, yeah, we took a booking once on the back of the mushrooms being out on display. So it's uh, free, free advertising, yeah. I guess, in some ways. I feel like a kind of, yeah, with Bread Ben the Forager and you, a like mushroom masterclass foraging <laughs> expedition could go down very well if, if they're that popular. <laughs> Ah, uh, I've asked Ben if I could go out with him, but he's so secretive about um, all of his locations. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. He's a, he's a tough cookie. So. <laughs> but he's also very kind and he actually gifted us 10 kilos of wild garlic um, to go towards the charity food that we're doing for Soul Food. So yes. he's, he's also a lovely man. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, please tell me more about Soul Food because we've seen on your Instagram you're raising money. Um for Soul Food Edinburgh? Yeah, so when they originally set up, they were just providing food to Leith, which is an area that's quite near to the restaurant. But now they've grown and now supply food to many, many people all over Edinburgh. They provide, well, we are now creating hot food, but yeah, they provide hot food to people who are perhaps homeless or even just lonely, or they just don't have the financial means to be able to, you know, have a hot meal themselves it's an amazing organization and we're just so glad that we're able to to be able to do our bit and we we set up a crowdfund and we set an initial target of uh, 750 pounds um, that got reached really really quickly so we did a stretch target to 3,000 pounds which again got reached and we've actually now raised just over 7,000 pounds that's amazing which it's just yeah and it's just it's gonna it just means that we're gonna be able to you know feed more people Gosh, Roberta, you're doing such amazing things up in Edinburgh. And when lockdown is over, I really hope I can take a holiday and be the first to come and visit. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. No, don't worry. It's been really lovely talking to you. So lovely to chat to you too. Thank you. Roberta and I chatted about asparagus earlier and she told me it was her favourite vegetable. 
British asparagus season is in full swing, so do make the most of it. With all this warm weather, I've been making a chilled asparagus soup, which is simple and refreshing. The main ingredient is just 500 grams of blanched asparagus, 500 mils of stock, and half an onion, gently fried. I also add a bit of cooked potato for creaminess, a handful of spinach for a vibrant green color, and cucumber for freshness. Whiz it all up and season with salt, pepper, and lemon juice, then chill. When ready to serve, garnish with a dollop of creme fraiche, blanched asparagus tips, and flowers such as wild garlic, chive, or daisies. Visit doorstepkitchen.com for the full recipe. I've also linked the page in the notes under this episode. Now we'll be hearing from our expert forager, Imogen Davis, from London restaurant Native. She joins us every week. Hi Kat, thank you so much. I hope you had fun with your stinging nettles last week. So next up we have one of my absolute favourite forage ingredients. I know I do probably say this about all of them, but I'm allowed to have more than one favourite, surely. So this week we're transporting ourselves to a beach with the sound of waves lapping against the shore and the sun beating against your face while you're sipping on a sweet, delicious cocktail with the scents from pineapple weed or Matricaria Disco Idea. It really does smell like pineapple when you crush it between your fingers, so that's a great identification tool to remember. If anybody out there has been to Native in the summer months, it's quite likely I've thrown this under your nose to have a smell. It's a little unsuspecting weed and you'll find it peeping out of trampled gravel and fields. Um, It's actually non-native and it escaped from Kew Gardens in the 18th century. It's commonly used as an aromatic in the perfume industry as well. So for any aspiring perfumers out there, give it a try. Pineapple weed is a member of the chamomile family and it's sometimes referred to as wild chamomile. So it has those same wispy feathery leaves, although it's a little bit more bushy. It looks a bit like a daisy without any petals with a bright yellow centre and grows to around 10 centimetres high. So not quite the height of chamomile as well if you're confused between the two. You can find it on the heaths in London, in the parks and on the sides of walkways, but just remember to be careful wherever you choose to pick your plants. Um, If they're lower to the ground, remember that might be where dogs are walking. So try to go a little bit further into the parks, away from all the pollution as well. Lots of people might think that weeds have no defined flavour, but if you need any convincing, this is a great place to start. It provides a really delicate flavour that you won't find in any other ingredients in Britain. I'm missing our cocktail that we have, which is our pineapple weeded colada, so I might have to make some at home this week. It's really delicate and sweet and makes a great tea, so if you're in the sunshine, you could try making your own iced tea or even add the weed to a salad. You can basically use it in whatever you think that tropical flavour might be appreciated. So let me know any recommendations. Just a reminder of the foraging rule of thirds. Take one third, leave one third for others and the final third for the future. So happy foraging everyone. Hope you enjoy. Thanks Imogen. Pineapple weed sounds brilliant. I will try and find some as I'm desperate to make a cocktail with it as you suggested. That's all for this episode of The Doorstep Kitchen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate, review and subscribe as it makes all the difference. Next week, I chat to Alex Wright from Dashwater on food waste and drinks trends. There will be more asparagus and Imogen returns with tips on finding and cooking Alexander's. See you next time.